everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot. So again, we continue with the coronavirus outbreak having a dramatic impact to freight market movements. Uh, and with me, as always, is John Paul Hampstead. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Zach. Thanks for coming into the office this week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for another First day. time I've been out of my house in yeah. a week. Yeah, uh, this is the new. <laughs> this is the new world. So, you know, a lot has changed, and this this is kind of the theme of our, the environment, the world we live in right now. A lot of stuff happening every single day. We're getting stimulus packages. Oh, volumes are changing. I mean, we just had a cresting, uh, you know, in our outbound tender volume index. And you know, your team put together a really interesting piece on talking about what that means, uh, what's going to happen from here forward. Uh, so tell us a, bit, a little bit about this. Yeah, so we released um, this research document called After the Peak that basically took as its premise that contracted truckload volumes peaked um, on M Monday, March 30, uh, 23rd after sort of an unprecedented months-long rally caused by consumer uh, food and CPG buying across right. the country. Um, and we see every day since Monday, so Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, we've seen you know, a steady decline in, in volumes. Um, and furthermore, we, we've talked to both asset-based carriers and 3PLs who are saying the same thing, that obviously in certain sectors, the volume's really hot, but definitely noticeably cooling off. Um, and so what we're trying to do is figure out, uh, you know, what does this uh, contraction look like? How much of this surge in volume was demand that was pulled forward that then has to be uh, sort of paid back in a way? And then how does that affect different modes of transportation from trucking to intermodal? And then what's happening on the ocean? what's happening in the air. And so it was sort of a multimodal look at this new kind of narrative of what happens after the peak. Where do volumes degrade first? Um, which, what are the more defensive commodities that transportation companies should sort of uh, pivot their books of business toward? And, and that, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, th I think that's something that we've talked about in the past. You know, trucking companies, carriers, uh, the like, should be thinking about their book of business kind of like a financial commodities trader would. Uh, where do you hedge? You know, yeah. volumes are going to drop off in automotive. Should you now uh, start to invest in medical supplies? You know, that type of thing. The obvious uh, yeah, to yeah, make yeah. that a clear example. But, you know, to me, and we were talking about this a little bit before the show, uh, the, the rise isn't going to mirror the decline. Uh, and, I, and I think there's you know, a lot to be said about this. The most fascinating sectors to me, of course, the food and beverage, right. uh, along with the consumer product uh, side of things, I don't think that we're going to see quite the even decline. Uh, I think it'll be more uh, fruitful. I think that the decline will be a lot more uh, powerful in the long run, but I think there's going to be a little bit of stair-stepping. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's. I mean, the way that volumes um, sort of had to rapidly accelerate to catch up to consumer demand meant that they, they, they got faster and faster and faster until they stopped, basically, mm -hmm. uh, until they stopped growing. Um, but as you noted uh, before in our conversation before the show, Zach, 
when you have stockouts and then you've got um, inventory being pulled out of regional distribution centers and things like that, eventually that needs to be replenished. And so even once the demand signals on the consumer side start to fade, you've still got to sort of restock the supply chain. Um, and so we don't necessarily think that truckload volumes will disappear as quickly as they showed up in, in March. But um, certainly, you know, like we think that at some point there will be negative year over year volumes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to me, it's more like, you know, when you shoot up a firework into the sky and it's like this big explosive burst and the bright lights and everything. But then what's left over is this little trail of smoke and little sparks that come down. And that's the way I kind of see uh, the freight market here in the next little wow. bit. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay. Just to make an analogy. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. I mean, that's, I, th I think that's a good way to look at it. I think that there are a lot of things that will be fairly safe. Um, even apart from like, you know, obviously there's a lot of reefer demand right now. Um, it seems like the food buying is overlapping with the beginning of produce season. So you've seen like tons of volume out of Florida and things like that. Um, that, but even apart from that, we think of commodities like like plastic that goes into the packaging of shelf stable yep. foods. We think of um, even things like like uh, bulk grains and things that are the inputs into you know, pasta and rice factories and things like that, like beans, like all, all those sorts of things um, that get in, in corn that go into the making of food, um, all the various chemicals, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's corn syrup or, or preservatives or whatever, all of those things are also involved in the, in the manufacturing of food and, and it will be very safe. You mentioned medical supplies, um, and, you know, including pharmaceuticals, I think, um, is, is a kind of an interesting, it, it's interesting to see how the, uh, the government sponsored shipment of pharmaceuticals will, uh, will even impact like air cargo, for, for instance. Yeah, because that's obviously one of the commodities that shipped in the airlines a lot. Now, uh, to me, though, I think we're going to have to be really aware of some of the things we're not thinking about right now. Like, there's a lot that we still do not know about how this is going to progress. So we have the stimulus package that's still being debated in the House. Uh, you know, that may have an unforeseen impact on how people start to manage their freight flows or commodities. There's going to be businesses that benefit more and less. Um, one of the interesting aspects of this whole thing is the fact that, you know, you have Ford. They're retooling their plants to create masks and, right. and medical supplies. What's the downstream impact of that uh, as they have to change their infrastructure? So there's different uh, ways that this is going to trickle through the economy. Uh, we're not going to just see the obvious. People are eventually going to run out of toilet paper to buy, or they're just not going to need as much. That's kind of the obvious over-the-top one. But I think that there's going to be... Uh, with all of this unforeseen stuff, we're going to see something show up that we're not thinking about today. Yeah, and I also think that we shouldn't discount um, the effect of the stimulus bill. Right. A lot of people have said, you know, okay, $1,200, what's that really going to do? But when you look at all of the different ways that um, different sorts of payments, including unemployment, and uh, credits for children are, are sort of, you know, if you combine all of those. I saw a calculation that said that, like, if you took a family of four people, 
um, two you know parents, two children, making fifty thousand dollars a year. Say both parents get laid off because of the pandemic. Not only do they get you know a large amount of money in terms of their checks, but the unemployment checks that they would be getting um, have an extra six hundred dollars a week in it, right. you know, over the course of four months. It ends up being something like thirty six thousand dollars in extra stimulus. Right. So. I don't think we should um, forget that you know there is a vast amount of money that's being injected into the both into the financial system and the real economy, um, and I wonder what that does. You know, once in two months or three months or however long it takes, once movement and work restrictions get lifted, what that spending looks like. Yeah, no, that will be fascinating. And to that same point, so. China has still not fully recovered from all of this. Right. They've, they've lifted, they haven't fully recovered. They've started lifting movement restrictions in Hubei province and scheduled uh, for Wuhan, the sort of epicenter of the outbreak, um, April 8th. Right. Um, will be when people can return back to work there. So it's, you know, it's starting, it's coming along. Um, it looks like in the very hardest hit spot, about three months of, of pretty bad impact. Yeah, and, and we've watched this in the custom shipments. We haven't seen that full robust recovery from that bottoming. Uh, uh, we think that'll happen in probably mid-April um, is when uh, new volumes should peak. But uh, keep in mind that now the steamship lines have started adjusting to the new reality of the global pandemic, and they've realized that the risk is shifting not from supply in Asia, but from demand, yep. both in Europe and the United States. And so we've seen uh, reports come through in the past couple days that the big alliances, including the Ocean Alliance, um, have, have started voiding sailings both to the West Coast of North America and to Northern Europe. So. Antwerp um, and Rotterdam, uh, voiding sailings leaving you know through the month of April. So um, it's the the whole sort of freight flow, where demand's going to be, and the best place to allocate steamship capacity is still kind of being worked on as an active problem yeah. by these alliances. And and I and I think the thing to note here is that nobody really knows what this stimulus is going to do. I mean, a lot of the, the the customers that have been canceling their orders for the summer have been retail heavy. These are very retail centric customers that yeah. don't need the seasonal, uh, you know, these kind of luxury items, if you will. Uh, so that may shift to something else, though. You yeah, know? I mean, like, like I would, and the things we don't even think of that probably aren't major commodities, but things like like guns. Right? Like, are people buying guns? Yes, like, they I, are. I, I assume they are. Guns and ammunition, quite yeah. a bit of them. <laughs> I, have, I haven't been, but I mean, I, that's like something that we don't really talk about that much. But I would probably like to own a gun store right now. No, my my wife actually, for the first time ever, said, "Should we go buy a gun?" Uh, the other day, and I was just like. If we could find one, probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean. So, so there's weird things like that. Um, in terms of retail, I mean, it makes sense. But just to kind of state the obvious, we think that high-end, you know, high-dollar retail items will be hit first in terms of uh, demand falling off, mm -hmm. and then it'll sort of work its way down uh, the sort of the, the cost chain until you get to the consumer staples that consumers have kind of already stocked up on. Right. Um, so that that's one way to think about, you know, if you're a transportation provider, who your customers are, what the commodities you haul for them are, and um, how soon they're likely to see demand deteriorate.
Yeah. So, I mean, as these little pockets of demand show up, you know, stimulus bill passes, certain things start to ramp back up. You know, some companies may say, oh, wait, we actually need those orders now. Uh, that's going to create a lot of volatility in the market because you're going to have these surges, these pockets of demand and supply uh, as China says, okay, we need to make this now. Uh, and then that takes two weeks to get over to the United States. And, and, and so you're going to have these inventories really struggling to keep up. Uh, you know, they're going to have some warehouses that just don't empty, some warehouses that empty really fast. Uh, and then these right. imports that come across the water, they're going to immediately hop on some sort of long-haul truck, uh, bypassing the rail to get to the end user. So you're going to see a lot of... Uh, conflicting messages within the market. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's sort of what's been behind the rise in um, the outbound tenor rejection index, mm -hmm. which at a national level is close to 20% now. It's like 19 point something. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that uh, you know the economy is roaring and capacity <laughs> right. is extremely tight. It's, it's that the demand has been so unpredictable that it's very difficult for large transportation providers to live up to their contracted commitments. Some of their customers have way more freight, some of them have way less. It's difficult to allocate capacity and therefore rejections are going up a lot. And yeah, we, we think that that kind of market confusion is in general inflationary for rates. For sure. And it's also the fact that this happened so quickly. Uh, carriers cannot manage, uh, you know, any infrastructure cannot manage that kind of rapid change in an environment. Uh, you have these infrastructures that are built up for a certain pace, a certain speed. You know, we were talking about this in January, February, how it's like things haven't changed that much. I think me and Kevin Hill were on here in the third week of January talking about how brokerage uh, rooms are specializing in making memes right now, um, yeah. you know. So when that pattern exists for a long period of time, people start to get real comfortable, copacetic with the way things are. Uh, it also creates a lot of, you know, inflexibility in this in the environment. Right. Yeah, and so um, as we've seen so many times over the past few years, we're at sort of another inflection point, another sea change in the way that transportation companies are going to have to come to market. So it's going to be fascinating over the next couple of weeks just to see how this plays out. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting time, no doubt, uh, as we look forward. So what do you think are some of the things to look for here in the next week or so, JP, before our next discussion? Certainly volumes, um, and also um, if outbound tenor rejections continue to track uh, viral hotspots. So we're looking at emerging hotspots in southeast Michigan and New Orleans, in addition, of course, to Washington State, California, and New York State. Um, I think that will be interesting to see. I know that um, you know disaster relief agencies and the federal government are sort of trying to understand what kinds of logistical uh, support would be necessary to create quarantines and things like that. Um, I th so I think that's really going to be uh, is how, how closely does free market dynamics match the evolution of the outbreak. Yeah, a lot of moving parts here. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week's On the Spot. Stay tuned for all the latest freight market information here at Freight Waves. Have a good weekend.